love laid Good afternoon, good evening or good morning wherever you are in the world you are through to another episode of Love Laid Bear. Now I am of course your host Dion. Now guys you know how I always speak about um, you know getting a counsellor, therapist um, and us kind of just trying to not avoid our problems and seeking that professional help. Well I have a counsellor in the building and I'm so so excited. I'd like to introduce you to Celestina, the founder of Floating Counselling. Hi. Welcome. Thanks. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh no, the pleasure is absolutely all mine, 100%. I'm so, I mean, me and Celestina, we have been speaking over social media. Yes. Yeah, so this is like the first time we've actually met. Physically, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we've had a little chat beforehand. Um just about like today's topic and a few other things um but she's going to tell you from a professional perspective a few things now today we're going to be speaking about physical punishment beating hitting licks whatever you want to call it um we're going to talk about why it's probably not one of the best things to do um Celestina has a book that she'll be publishing very soon um so we're going to talk a little bit about that um so we're going to get the conversation started so Celestina tell us a bit about yourself you know how long have you been a counsellor etc um I have been working with people with their mind trying to um yeah I've been a counsellor I have been a counsellor for over 10 years over a decade I I just tend to say over a decade but it's been over 10 years it's been (laughs) about 12 years um, the first couple of years was my placement, um, so I don't always necessarily count that. But we literally, in, I do need to counsel because to pass your um, your course to be a counsellor, you have to do um, hundred to two hundred clinical hours with people. So that's quite a large amount of yes. hours working mm-hmm. with people. So we literally, I should count it. So twelve years is the answer to that question. Um, and I've worked with different organisations from in and around Croydon, in and around London in general. Um, from working in schools were place to be because I just always felt like working with children um, I was just drawn to working with children mm-hmm. and when I then started working at place to be I realized just why I was drawn to working with children because working with children as a counselor you have to look at yourself and your childhood and heal yourself so mm-hmm. you don't so you can help other people so it was interesting working at place to be because that was what my my most um, work my personal journey from healing myself really happy right. working that place to be because every time I had I had um, I had a client and then I'll go to supervision because every counsellor have to have supervision to make mm-hmm. sure that you're working clinically um, and you're working ethically as well so you have supervision and I'll all go to my supervisor and I'll be talking about the clients and they will always bring me back to me I'm like what have I got to do with this <laughs> you know it's got enough to do with me no no let's talk about this client her mother did this her father did this this is what she's going through and be like and how did you feel about that I'm like no, 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 this client and this <laughs> client. So it was really interesting working on myself and working on my, my own past trauma, even though I thought I was there to help 
you know, the young people, yes. really, truly, they were helping me in yes, so many ways. Time. Wow, it's amazing. Wow. Yeah, so, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. So can you explain to the listeners what the difference is between a counsellor and a therapist stroke psychotherapist? Um, a counsellor, a psychotherapist, I would say, is someone who is, they've gone through the 100 to 200 clinical hours to pass their course. Um, and they've done, it usually takes about four to seven years to pass to be completely finished and be um, to call, be able to call yourself psychotherapist. So a psychotherapist would have had intense training before they can call themselves a psychotherapist. Counselors, you can do counseling courses, which can be a six months course and you can call yourself a counselor or you can do a one year course. Um, I know some pastors who do theology, they do six months in the, um, in the three years of, of um, degree. And they can, you know, they can say to people, oh, yeah, I'm a counsellor, I'm a pastor counsellor, mm-hmm. but they've only done six months. Right. So that's why a lot of the time when I introduce myself, I say I'm a psychotherapist because even though we're all counsellors and, you know, we've gone through a certain amount of training to be able to help people emotionally, the intensity that a psychotherapist has gone through to be able to be at that stage is just as long as being a lawyer or being even a surgeon. I see, right. So, mm. it's, so you know, we can, so, you know, a nurse and a doctor, you know, we're all helping people, but the intensity that a doctor has gone through in the journey of being where they are, or a surgeon, that, that that's what I like to compare it to. So, okay. you know, us counsellors, um, yeah, so counsellors, psychotherapists, that's just what the difference is. But we're all helping people, but the intensity is just... Just different. It's just a difference. Okay, so are you a psychotherapist? Yes. Okay, so please, um, correction, I'd like to introduce you to Celestina, psychotherapist, founder of Floating Counselling. Yes. Just to, just so you guys know, I'm working with proper people here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, cool. So what else do I want to ask you? Okay, so what made you actually want to get into, you know, kind of therapy work and working with people? Um, that is such an interesting question because that was actually an accident. I did not oh, want to okay. work. I did not want to work. Um, I did not. I did not. When I was younger, I didn't think I wanted to be a counsellor. I didn't even know what that was. I didn't know what psychotherapist was. I didn't know what that was. But I was always fighting other people's battles in school. And I always get in trouble for fighting other people's okay. battles. Um, I'll always be arguing with teachers. And, you know, if a teacher got... Um, told another child off i'll be like no why are you telling that person off because it was that person that actually pinched them but you heard that one shout but it was actually that person that pinched them so i'll always be getting okay. involved in people's issues uh-huh. and my dad thought oh you should be a lawyer because you can like arguing for people <laughs> fighting other people's battles like in the playground i'll be fighting other people's battles and when the teacher comes i'll be like what happened and i'll be like well she pinched her or she punched her so i slapped her for doing what she did <laughs> like you're hitting other people because what so i would get in trouble because i was like i was fighting someone else yeah but it was always to defend somebody else right so my dad absolutely thought okay you need to be a lawyer so he got me all the lawyer books then i was probably about 10 or 11 at this oh, wow. age, by the way <laughs> he got me thick lawyer books um and i was so excited you know i read all the laws all the uk laws uh-huh. and all these things i you know carry everywhere with me and um, that used to be my argument in class as well. I'd be like, well, in section 22 of the they say that. So that's why it's not me physically fighting. Uh-huh. I turn into the law books of actually arguing with my mouth. That is so funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Looking back now, it's so random. And then when I, um, when I finished college, I, I did, yeah, I did college. So I did college. Um, I did law, A-level law, politics, government and politics, and health and social care. 
and then I went to uni and I did law for the first year and it just was not for me it just didn't feel right for me so I dropped out and my sister was just like well we are educational people in our family Mm -hmm. you can't just sit home and not do anything you can't just sit home and not study not go to work not do nothing that is not what we do so she gave me a blank check and she said go to college and find a course to do and I was just like it's your money I don't care yeah so I went (laughs) I went to Lambeth I went to Southern College there was no because I went in September like the second week of September so they were just about to start um that year that academic year there was no other courses left everything had been taken I went to Lambeth College and there was one course left level two in counseling and counseling skills so I was like it's her money. I don't really care. So I gave them the check. I wrote how much it was. I think it was like 150 pounds for the course. I wrote it in and that was it. And I absolutely loved the course. It was, I loved it because I was talking about myself. Okay. <laughs> so they give, they, you have to work and try it in three, three different people. And you have to talk to the other person and they'll have to talk to you. And then you swap places and then you reflect what you saw mm-hmm. um, as the third person looking in at them working in, in the counseling helper point of view. And I just thought this is, I've never seen anything like this before. So after that, they went to the next level and the next level and the next level. And that's just how I just got into counseling. So it was, it was just a core incident, um, if that's even what it is. But I think it was just meant to be. It's meant to, clearly meant to be. So in a way, I'm still arguing people's um, case. I'm still helping them in that way, mm. just in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing that you had that skill set from such a young age. Or to fight or to argue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, but look where we are now, you know. Exactly. 25 years later, you know. <laughs> exactly. You're there doing, do, do, doing, doing God's work. Absolutely. In, in a way, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. okay good so um like i was explaining to your fair i i'm always encouraging the listeners um to seek professional help when it comes to matters of the mind mm. um on our resources page on the website there's a list of um support services um that people can reach out for depends on the topic mm. um but from a psychotherapist perspective I mean, it's all well and good me saying to people why they should seek therapy and not because there's something wrong. Sometimes you, I, I, I genuinely feel like everybody should just have counselling anyway, Absolutely. you know. But from your perspective, why do you recommend that particularly black and ethnic minority people should really take the time out and have like kind of counselling or therapy? Like you said, everyone should have counselling and and therapy and actually really work on themselves. And the way I like to explain it to people is, you know, when we, you know, you you see advert on TV, you know, your doctors tell you, eat five to ten foot and veg every day to prevent illness. Do exercises, walk to prevent illness um, so you're not physically sick, so you're not diabetic, so you're not this, so you're not that. I see it as the same thing with counselling. Go counselling, go therapy and get your mind right be mindful of what you're doing, what you're saying, how you're reacting to emotions. Because if you're not, you're going to hurt other people. You're going to hurt yourself in one way or the other. So it's the same thing. How we eat healthily and do exercise to be physically healthy. Psychotherapy or counselling is the same thing to be my, your mind to be healthy. Mm-hmm. That's how I like to say it. 
especially black people or ethnic minority because we've been through so much our ancestors have been through so much and that gets passed on that get passed on in i mean they call it i mean some christians and even some people they call it generational curse. curses curses mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, it's not even curses, like spiritual curses. It's just trauma, It's, it's isn't just it? trauma that's mm-hmm. been passed on. So I've been through something, and I feel like this is the norm. So I train my children to do the same thing. Yeah. And then they go on and they train their children to do the same thing, and it just gets passed on. And it's the same thing with almost everything. You know, the way we speak, you know, we all, you know, if you're in and around London, you speak a certain way. Yes. I mean, if you hear somebody speaking in London, you're like, oh, you're from London because we speak a certain way. Mm-hmm. And that is because we pass on the way we speak, the way we act, our mannerism, we pass these things on to each other. And it's exactly the same thing with upbringing. And because, you know, with black and ethnic minority, we've been through so much trauma in our ancestors anyways. It's just getting passed on until we stop and we heal ourselves and we go through the trauma that our parents may have gone through, that we, they've passed on to us, until we heal from that and we get better and we are mindful of what has happened and what we've been through, we are going to pass that on. Unknowingly or knowingly, with, you know, however you want to say, you, we are going to pass it on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not even just, I'm not going to pass it on. The fact is, if I, I'm not aware of the damage that I have been through, if I if I do not get better from the damage that I've been through, I am going to pass it on. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that is why, especially, you know, the slavery, that black slavery that's happened, even the Jewish slavery that's happened, the Holocaust, you know, all these kind of things that ancestors have been through, they pass it on. You know, that trauma gets passed on. Even in the DNA, yes. res- research yes. has shown mm-hmm. that, you know, our DNA gets passed on to our children and the trauma that we go through gets passed on. How resilient we are, that gets passed on as well. Which is why a lot of the time when, when people say, oh, black people don't need counselling. You know, we're such strong people. I feel like, yes, we're such strong people because of what we've been, been through. through. yeah. And that is in our DNA because mm-hmm. we are strong people. That is in our DNA to be strong, to be emotionally strong. However, that trauma is also in our DNA. Absolutely. So that strength is in our DNA, but the trauma is there too. Exactly. Very well said. Very, 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 very well said. Um... You know, I know that there are a lot of people, because I have a lot of people who will listen to the episodes and then DM me afterwards and say, oh my God, that really touched me. Um, You know, I've been through that. I'm going through that. But are still reluctant Mm. to seek, you know. How do we get people pass this notion that if you actually seek out mental health services that it doesn't mean that you're crazy mm. you know how can we try and change the mindset i mean how how do, how do you approach that because i'm sure you must have people that you see that just don't want to be there absolutely so how, how how do you how do you break them down i guess in essence <laughs> break them down <laughs> <laughs> um i guess i just go through that um physical and mental side of eating healthily and you know looking after your mind healthily and the damage that not looking after your mind can do you know our thought process actually releases the hormones in our body so a lot of the time people feel a certain emotion and they feel like that emotion that they're feeling is what is making them think what they're thinking whereas actually it's the other way around so it's what you're thinking that's actually triggered your brain to release a certain amount of emotion or a certain amount of hormone that is giving you the emotion that you're feeling Mm -hmm. so if we're not careful with our mind and we're not mindful of our mind and we just let our mind think and do whatever it feels like doing whenever it feels like doing it then that means it's releasing hormones to our body that 
is negative, positive, all over the place, unsteady, imbalanced, and it's damaging our organs, it's damaging our life. And that affects our physical being. Mm -hmm. So the way I try to explain it is you need to look after your physical being, eat healthily, do exercise, all the things you need to do. But you also need to look after your mind. Be mindful what you're thinking. Try and, I won't say control your thoughts, but in a way, be mindful of your thoughts. Because it affects your entire being, your entire body, your, your hormones. It affects everything. You know, that's how I try to explain it. And when I do have counsellors and clients that don't want to be there, I just go with the flow. You know, I've had clients literally sleep in session. And they'll oh, be like, really? I don't want to be here. So they'll just close their eyes and they'll fall asleep. And the first time it happened to me, I went to, super I went to my supervisor and I was just like, she slept. She slept in session. And my supervisor was like, oh, that's amazing. How did you feel about that? <laughs> what was coming up for you? And then the more I processed what was coming up for me, I realized that the next session with that client, she just vomited all the things that she wanted to deal with. Interesting. So, the, the, so in counseling, we go through, um, trans, they call it transference and counter-transference. So that is when the client transfers onto the counsellor. So the counsellor can feel what the client is maybe trying not to feel. So the client can try to block off what they're trying to block off, whatever it may be, whatever emotion, whatever trauma they might have gone through or whatever life experience they've gone through. So that sleeping for that client was what she was doing. But me sitting there, being still, not having anything to do, but just sit here, there for 15 minutes, mm -hmm. I, she was absolutely transferring onto me. So when I went to my supervisor and I said, this is what happened, and we started processing how I felt, it turns out it wasn't my emotion. It was her emotion that was coming onto me. Amazing. So in that way, I was able to process what was really going on for that client. And then when I saw her again, I said to her, when we were sitting here, this is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. And she just bursted into tears and she was like, oh my goodness, how did you know that? And that is the power of counseling and psychotherapy, I say, because, you know, your counselor, your therapist, because they're, because they're, they're trained to be able to hold that space for you in a safe space that you won't be able no one else can hold for you in the normal world mm -hmm. so people will say to you oh you know you just need to talk to a friend you just need to talk to a family member it's different in therapy yes. mm -hmm. the, 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 the qualification that we've gone through the intensity that we've gone the space the safety that we can hold nobody can hold that for you i can't even hold that for my husband because I know him. Yeah. Because I will be feeling my own things. Whereas with an outsider who is qualified and trained in that way, we can hold that for you. And <clears throat> we can also know what emotion is ours and not ours. <clears throat> Whereas with my husband, I know him. It will get in in entwined. Yes. I will be like, Amazing. is that yeah. me? Is it triggering me? Mm -hmm. Is that really my emotion? Is that your emotion? But because, you know, we're, we're an outsider, I know what is my emotion and I know what is not mine. So that's how we can process and we can actually help the client heal and we can go through the journey with them in a safe environment. That's interesting. So do you ever find yourself like, is, is it hard getting out of psychotherapist mode? So you know, like we were having a talk before we went live and I was telling you some things. Do you automatically go into psychotherapist mode? Like, yes, <laughs> yes. Hmm. <laughs> I think she still needs a bit more work. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Do you still yeah. kind of have that? Yes, I do. <laughs> when I 
first started, I didn't know what it was. And I would just be absorbing people's emotions. And which is why I was fighting for people when I was younger. Because yeah. I was just absorbing their emotion. I was absorbing their, um, the, the, the injustice that was happening to them. And I would just, you know, outburst of my emotion was just coming up. Where I was really and truly, it was their emotions with mine was being combined. And because I wasn't trained, I wasn't aware, I was just lashing out. Whereas now that I'm trained, I can actually observe it, feel the emotion, process it, and then discharge what I need to discharge. And then lock off what I need to lock off. Okay. So in a way, yes, it, I, I can automatically go into the therapist mode. And, you know, I can be on the bus and somebody can walk past me and I can feel their emotion. But I'm at a place where I'm aware that that's not my emotion. That's, that's someone that's just gone past, past me. Um, so I don't have to engage with that emotion. I can just let it be. Um, so I hope that kind of answers your question. Yeah, no, it does. <laughs> and the thing is, it's answered the question, but it's, it's also kind of thrown up. It's thrown some more questions that I want to ask you, but not necessarily for the pod. But it's interesting you're talking about kind of absorbing people's energies mm. because um, I have found that a lot, particularly within the last season where the topics have been a lot more heavier. So mm. we've been speaking about depression, anxiety, suicide, death, physical, sexual abuse. Mm. Um, and I've had to... I don't think I'm completely there yet in terms of completely shielding myself but I've had to learn about doing that mm-hmm. because as much as again because I you know I think I not I'm not I don't I don't still think I know everything but I would kind of be like okay I can I can take it I can yeah. feel it I can and I thought I was going for the stages mm-hmm. like I never knew exactly what the stages were but now that you've said it I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I, I did that, but I, but I wasn't, mm. you know? So what I tend to do at the end of each, um, I'll do like maybe 10 or 15 episodes and then I'll have a break mm-hmm. because sitting here, speaking to people sometimes over two, three, even up to four hours wow. and they're literally unloading, 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 Absolutely. unloading. That's intense. Yeah, you know? Absolutely. So I think... I mean, I mean, like right now, I'm in a period of like just trying to build myself back up because mm. I think last season was so heavy, plus the other things that went on as well. Anyway, that I literally just feel so exhausted. Yeah. And it's funny because literally about two weeks ago, I was like, I need to see another therapist mm. because not that you know this is getting too much in terms of the podcasting, but I think where I am now, starting to tackle heavier topics, yeah. and then there's still life, isn't yes. there? There's still life outside. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Really important. Yeah, it's learning to shield yourself and Yeah. And um lock off the emotion and know which emotion is yours and which is theirs. Because you know, when people are talking about things that they've been through that's traumatic, you know, that energy comes up again. It's like, you know, even when they're saying it, they will start picturing it again and which means it's in their mind, Mm -hmm. it's alive right there and then, which means that energy that they're discharging has to go somewhere. Somewhere. And if it's just you in the room, (laughs) it's going to you. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely it has to mm. it has to go somewhere it's going to you yeah so it makes sense why you've been exhausted yeah that's why we only have 15 minute session and then we have 10 minutes to before we see the next client so right. you know we say we say an hour therapeutic session 
but really and truly it's 50 minutes and then that 10 minutes is to write notes and that writing notes is just to get everything on the paper so away from us mm -hmm. away from the energy that they've poured on us or thrown at us whichever yeah. way it has been to get it on the paper to get it away from our you know and then you know breathe go for a walk you know sometimes they just go for a walk during that time they watch a video for that 10 minutes but it's just to you know get get that person out of your system so, as much as you can mm. as much as you can you can't really do that much in 10 minutes 10 but, minutes yeah yeah but as much as we can so yeah it makes sense that you've been yeah. absolutely exhausted that's so interesting i thing is i knew that i was going to learn a lot today but even in this like just brief chat like i feel like i've learned so much that's good okay <laughs> okay so let's go on to the topic which is going to be um physical punishment okay okay so guys um i did say the top of this episode that we were going to be talking about um physical punishment beatings licks slaps um so what is what is allowed legally in terms of chastising your child what is legal you can legally in uk hit your child so slap your child without using a weapon so you can use your hand you can't use your leg because that's kicking that's that's considered abuse so you can slap your child as long as it doesn't leave any mark but what i always say is depending how fair-skinned that person is that child is depends just how how far you know what a parent would go really so even though there's a the, the legal thing is you can slap your child as long as it doesn't leave a mark but a dark-skinned child you know you have to hit them really hard for them to even 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 if you hit them really hard with your hand the likelihood of leaving a mark is very rare very slim because mm -hmm. they're dark skin um so for me i say that is the legal but it's up to the parents. So the, the government has left up to the parents to just be like, okay, you can slap your children as long as it doesn't leave a mark. So it's really and truly up to the parent to actually know how far you go with that. Oh, okay. So no weapon. And do you feel like there's a thin line between smacking and abuse? Yes, absolutely. How thin are we talking? I think it's so thin because of the way their body reacts because of the trauma that we mentioned earlier that you know humans go through our ancestors have gone through especially um, black ethnic minorities mm -hmm. um the things that we've gone through means it's in our dna to be strong it's also the trauma is also in our dna that we have been abused in the past in one way or the other whether mm -hmm. sexually whether been beaten whether watching your your somebody that you know been hung or what you know whatever you know it whatever that the ancestors have seen they've been through they've felt whatever it is it's been passed down somehow. Mm -hmm. So because of that, it's in our DNA for certain things. So when you hit a child, that is getting triggered. And even if the child seems like they're okay, they're not okay. I say they're not okay. And that is simply because we are we are um, projecting a lot of, well, one, we're projecting our anger and our dislike and our own emotion onto that child by touching that child 100%. in that way. So I'm angry, so I'm going to slap you to let you know I'm angry. So I'm this, and that energy has to go somewhere. So I'm going to give you my energy of anger and that child is going to feel anger, but that child can't express the anger with you because you're the parent, because you'll probably beat them even further. Yes. Mm -hmm. So they hold on to that anger and then they go out and they discharge it somewhere, somehow. 
sometimes some children hold it in for years and then they explode and then we wonder what the heck this child was so kind this child was so relaxed this child was so you know it's because they were holding in for so long and then boom they exploded it's like um when you have a can of coke or even a drink of soda and you shake, shake it, you it. shaking it you keep mm -hmm. shaking it eventually it's gonna burst and when it bursts it's gonna go everywhere you know unlike if you just had a can of coke and you laid it down and you gently open it the emotion and you pour it out the emotion that you're pouring out it's so much calmer than yes. it bursting and going mm -hmm. everywhere so that that is the power of energy that we're passing on to our children when we hit them um and obviously the ancestor things that we've been school as well as a flight mode so the fight the flight and the freeze mode that we humans automatically go into when we feel like our life is in danger so when we hit a child and when we put fear in a child's mind by saying you know when you get home you know i'm gonna deal with you even that is you know that's making that child feel like oh my goodness when i get home they, she's gonna beat me he's gonna beat me whatever mm -hmm. and that plays on that child's mind and that's repeated in that child's mind and that emotion is being released of fear when i get home when i get home when i got home that getting home can be an hour so you have put fear in that child for an hour and that hormone has been released ongoing 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 for an hour and and that is a kind of trauma that even though it seems like something so minor it's absolutely a huge thing in human biology because fear is something that we shouldn't just be triggering for nothing it's yes. there for a reason reason yes 100%. and when you're triggering it because your child was making noise on the bus or for something minor you are potentially causing stress in that child in the, in the future you're potentially causing that child to have ptsd post-traumatic stress disorder because fear is something that should only be triggered when really and truly your life is in fear. Like, you know, you see a lion coming at you yeah. and you think, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? How am I going to react? How am I going to get out of this situation in a safe way? Those are the reasons why we humans have this, you know, this fight or flight or mode that we do. It's not for things like, you know, your parent hitting you or your parent putting fear into you or your parent hating you or disliking you or saying certain things that triggers those emotions in you so that's why and i say to people and i had um and i say to people a lot of the time especially black people there is a lot of black people in prison yes there is racism institutional racism so that's it that's a part to play in it as well but in as well there's also a lot of black people in mental institution so where so black people are filling up the prisons they're also filling up the mental homes we have got to stop and realize that something is not right here we have yes. got to you know change something clearly our parents and our grandparents they are doing something that clearly did not work because we I'm have filled so something glad you said that <laughs> so like no honestly i'm so i'm so thrilled that you've led us into this segue of the conversation because you know i i'm in a lot of different facebook groups and uh, a post that i i seen that that comes up quite consistently when there's been a murder of a young person um is you know if we were if we were allowed to discipline and beat our children this wouldn't be happening now and i'm kind of like okay so um, your generation probably was beaten as were the ones before. Yeah. Um, that still didn't stop you guys going to prison. Absolutely. Do, do you understand what exactly. I'm saying? So if some if 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 that process was working and it was okay, surely this this problem that we're having, particularly with young black boys. Mm wouldn't be an issue right now would it absolutely and the thing is interesting that they say that like oh um 
um, if we if we're able to beat our children, this won't be happening. Well, you can hit your children. The government is not stopping you from disciplining your children, just as long as you're not abusing them and you're not overdoing that, you're not getting a belt, or you're not getting a slippers, or you're not getting a wooden spoon, which is what my stepmom used to do, wood big wooden spoon mm-hmm. that you used to spatula. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you're not using a weapon to hit them if you're hitting them with their hand. So the government, I always say to people, the government has not stopped you disciplining your children. They just said, did not abuse them, did not go over to the point where you're going to cut their skin open, or you're going to bruise them. So, and it's interesting because black kids are still hit. Yes. I don't know a single <laughs> black child that can say to me, my mom or my dad or my carers have never hit me. They still hit them. Yeah, they do. So this myth that, oh, if we're allowed to beat our children, um, this won't be happening. You're still beating your children, though. Mm. You still do. Yeah. I still sit on the bus. I still sit on, on, on the road. I still hear it. I still know it's happening. We, I don't know a single black child that has not still been beaten every now and then. So clearly, you're beating them, but it's not working. Yeah. It didn't work back then. It's not working now. And it's not going to work. Because that is not how you're meant to discipline. That is not how you train a human being. Mm -hmm. You train humans with love. Humans can only react positively to love. We don't react positively to fear because our brain Mm. gets triggered and our brain shuts down. Even part of our brain actually physically shuts down when we're in fear. Um, Our listeners, we're not listening as much because... Because you trigger that fear in that child or that pain in that child. So the adrenaline is going to a certain part. So it's shutting down other parts of the body. Because again, that's just what the human body does. You know, if it feels like your life is in danger, it will shut down things that it thinks you don't need. So you don't need your earring because that's not where the blood needs to go. The blood needs to go to your muscles because mm. you are in the zone of fight or flight. And, you know, your body thinks your your life is in danger. Mm-hmm. So it will go to your muscles. So your blood goes to your muscles. Your attention of your brain will go to your muscles because it thinks you need to run for your life. You need to feel your muscle needs to be strong. So if somebody hits you, it's not going to hurt you that much. You can take that pain. So the blood and your, and your adrenaline goes to your muscles, not mm-hmm. your earring. And different parts of your body get shut down. It's like when people are in the war, their stomach gets shut down because it feels like you don't need your stomach. You're not going to eat right now. Yeah. So I don't need to, you don't need mm. to digest your food. So I'm going to shut that down and I'm going to give your adrenaline. I'm going to give your muscles the strength and the, and the, and the, and the, and the physique and the, and the strength to basically do what it needs to do for you to survive. That's exactly what happens when we are in a fear mode or we feel like, you know, we're going to be hurt. Those things are shut down. The stomach is shut down, which is why another thing, I'm kind of slightly going off topic, I guess, in a bit, which no, is why no, no, I no, feel no. like um, a lot of black people have a lot of stomach issues. IBS. They call it IBS. God, please just but... give me a high five, please. <laughs> oh, look, she's, I think she should just be on every single, every single podcast. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I know so many black people who have stomach issues. You know, IBS, they can't eat certain things. They, you know, they, this and this and this and i feel like it's because from when they were young their stomach was shutting down to the point where you know now even though it doesn't need to shut down anymore it just shuts down so it's not digesting like it used to or mm. it should because of that fear of from when they were young it just been triggered and triggered and triggered and i feel like this happens in so many other parts of our body where things get shut down to the point where even though it doesn't need to shut down now because it's done it for so long it just mm. automatically does it which is another which is another thing that actually happens in PTSD. So post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, part of our body gets shut down. You know, we can't hear, we can't see properly. Our stomach is doing what it needs to do or what it thinks it should do. 
and you know our mind is being repeated certain negative things that's happened to us has been repeated mm-hmm. in our mind and i feel like this is because you know for example when i said um you know when 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 somebody says i'm going to, when you get home when we get home and that could take an hour so that hour that thing that fear has been repeated in that child's mind mm-hmm. to the point when they're in trauma when trauma has happened it gets repeated in the mind and that causes stress that is so interesting. I want to play you something. Okay. I went to um, I went to a comedy show on Sunday, and you know, when it's like a black comedy show, they typically have certain topics that they'll yes. cover. And usually, you know, somebody will bring up the fact that they were beaten as a child, and you know the funny side. But the funny side of it. Yeah. Now, for me. Sitting where I am, having gone through therapy and listening to the stories of the people that I've listened to, mm. I can't really find those things funny anymore. Mm. Um, because I know what the effects are. And, and and again, it's like when you sometimes speak to people and they... I feel like people are blindsided a lot. Because when mm. it comes to physical discipline, because that's all they've ever known... Yes. And you know, my mum, my mum, my dad, they love me. So yes. how, how can that be abuse? Mm. You know, I even had that, I even had that in my own therapy sessions mm. where she would kind of say things to me like, mm, do you want that? You think that's a bit, and I'm like, no, that's just how it is. Mm. Like you're wrong. Yes. You know, but let me, yeah, but let me, let me just play this to you. Love. Laid. Bear. Okay, so what are your kind of immediate thoughts from listening to that very short sketch that this comedian did? So common, so familiar, so um, yeah, and the the terror that 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 would have been in that child's mind of seeing that Jurassic Park, the devil as a causer, because literally she, him knowing that his mum was coming for him. She was the devil to him, like the his worst nightmare. And for a child to think that, that means you have provoked fear. That is absolutely the ultimate fear because that child thinks the devil's coming for them. So that is just literally my life is in danger. My life is in danger. Mm-hmm. That's what you've provoked in that child. Their life is in danger. That's what you provoked in that child's body. And, you know, it must seem like it's just something that we all went through and mm-hmm. we, we're fine, aren't we? Yeah. But I always say to people, are we fine? Are we? I'll be fine. You know, when somebody barge past me, do I just think, oh, okay, maybe the person was in a rush? Or do I automatically think, you disrespected me, you did it on yeah. purpose, da 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 da, and it can turn into an Absolutely. argument. <laughs> Absolutely. And that is what has happened because of what we've been through. Because of what we, you know, they, they, they taught us was discipline. Is provoked so much things in us that it does not need to be provoked. So much things on a daily basis get provoked that we don't need to provoke. And it's just automatic. And it's because of our thought process. It's because our mind automatically goes back to what we've been through. And the body is so clever and the mind is so clever that it always goes back. It stores everything and it goes back in time. Mm-hmm. You know, we feel like we're living in the heaven now, but we're really not living in the heaven now. We're reacting to things that's happened to us in the mm-hmm. past. And that is and that is what, what what comes up for me when I when I when I was watching that, just the fear in that child's life of the devil coming for him. And don't you think like I kind of feel like he's internalized a lot of things. Only because so he calls her the devil. Exactly. He likens her to a big Jurassic scary dinos- dinosaur. Yeah. Um 
he mentions about calling social services. Yep. So as much as you're laughing about this and you're trying to make a joke about it, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I kind of feel like you're not really okay. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because he's, even 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 he's, even the way he's swearing at, at her and saying, you know, she's fucking coming for me and whatever, whatever. You know, even he, he's laughing about it and everyone is laughing about it. But like you said, he's not okay with it. Yeah. He's not okay, but because we've just internalized it as normal, you know, parent lovers, this is just what they do. This is just what, how, how life happens. We just see it as normal. Mm. So he just sees it as this is normal. Yes, I was scared when I was younger. And I thought she was the devil. I thought she was this and this and this. But it's just what everybody goes through, mm. isn't it? But the fact is, the fa- it's what everybody went through in our generation. But it doesn't make it okay. Yeah, it doesn't make it right. It doesn't. I'm going to, I think, because I usually, like I, like I said, I usually have people that I interview um, to talk about their trauma. So I'm going to talk about mine. Um, so we can just kind of like take it from like childhood and then go upwards. Mm. So I remember my first time the first time I remember being hit or beaten and um how do you think you were I was I, I don't believe I was in school so I must have been under five so maybe mm. about four and you know back in the 80s it was quite okay to leave your children in the house by themselves yeah yeah so um see that was normal back then too yeah now we know better I argued with my therapist about this because she questioned and she said do you think it's okay deal and I was like well yeah I was fine what you do to your daughter now no Mm-hmm. And then she was like, okay, then I'm not going to say anymore. And I was like, yeah. so. And you were like, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so I remember, so mum and dad were out. My brother's three years older than me. So he would have been top end seven. Um, and my, my, my cousin, who's like a few months younger than me. So we were in the house. It was a nice summer's day. Back door was open. Now our neighbours to the left there there was no fence their garden was trashed there was like a bath in there the weeds are growing past your head whatever else but we knew that we just weren't supposed to go in there however you know mum and dad have gone out so me and my cousin we've gone into the cupboard took out taken out my mum's seasoning made a little concoction on the floor because obviously we're not tall enough for the worktops left the mess there because obviously we're only four then i don't know where my brother was we've then walked into the garden next door and back then it used to be like a shared house so there was all different types of people in there and I remember like vividly that was like the punk rock era so there were people with tattoos and piercings mm. and um the big spiky yeah. mohawks and gothic looking and we walked over there went into the house because their back door was open mm. went into the kitchen and there was a few of them there and they just kind of like looked at us and I remember someone saying, you shouldn't be here. And we were like, oh. And then we ran and came back. So I think when my parents got back, they saw the mess on the floor. And I think my brother told on us that we'd gone next door. <laughs> so obviously, naturally, as children, did you do this mess? No. I'm going to ask you one more time. Mm-hmm. Did you make that mess on the floor? No. And I believe it was a belt that because obviously we're still quite young so it wasn't like a kind of like a whipping but we got hit with a belt on our hands which is still quite painful for Mm. a child um but then the severity of it was in terms of the incident for them was worse because we'd gone next door now the reason why i wanted to draw on that 
examples that because obviously I've read your book and there's a section where you asked for the parents to reflect mm. you know what is it that you were feeling in that moment when you hit your child and it made me kind of think okay so what was their fear their fear must have been well something could have happened yeah. to you when you went over there um there was probably no fear of the seasoning because it's mm. just a mess mm. but then it's interesting that maybe they did have the the mental process in themselves but you shouldn't have left such young children by themselves yeah. because anything could have happened to us when we went next door you're aware that there's no fence mm. you you're you know anything could have happened to us in the house Absolutely. um what do you kind of from a parent's perspective from the, I guess maybe from parents that you've spoken to what is in that kind of scenario would the would the, the fears that I've mentioned do you think that's quite a valid you know a valid the, fear the fear know? that the children felt or the fear that the parents well, uh, felt both just both both absolutely absolutely so it's from the sounds of what you've explained it sounds like the parents felt fear so they they lashed out instead of them processing that oh my goodness you know, anything could have happened to them. Let's make sure we do not leave them alone again. Let's tell them that next time <laughs> they should not go there and tell them the danger of what, you know, what they've done. Instead of using their words, they've physically done what they felt like it's the norm. Mm-hmm. Which is why when children are crying, we say to them, use your words. Yes. Because they have the tantrum. So in that situation, I see those parents as having their own tantrum. Uh So they felt all those overwhelming emotions and they had their own tantrum. Like children have tantrums when they feel overwhelming emotion. But it seems like when adults have their own tantrum, it's considered discipline. It's considered acceptable because Uh they're adults. So we can have our tantrum and we can lash out and we can scold things at our partners and we can scream at our partners or whatever, or other people when they annoy us. But when a child starts shouting... Because they're annoyed. Oh no, we can't have that. Mm-hmm. When a child throws a toy. Oh no, we can't have that. Because I paid money for that toy. And you might break that toy. And that is not acceptable. So it seems like some emotions are acceptable. But only in adults. Mm. So it seems like both were feeling fair. Because for you to have lied. That you did not put those seasoning on the floor. Mm-hmm. Is because you were scared. Yeah. If you thought, okay, no, mum is just going to make us sweep it up or whatever then we'll just say, yeah, what's the worst that could happen? But you knew something yeah. worse than just sweeping it up was going to happen, so you lie. People lie because they're scared. Of the consequences. Of the consequences, mm-hmm. absolutely. So if so, clearly, even at that age, three, four, you already knew that the consequences was going to be quite heavy. And it wasn't just going to be a few words. It was mm-hmm. going to be a lot more than a few words. And when we grow up, and this transpires into relationships as well. So when we grow up, being scared of consequences we get into a relationship and we keep lying and we're scared of consequences because we were raised to be scared of consequences mm. you know because sometimes us lying meant we got away with things but it also meant that the other person wasn't hurt so in a way we're trying to protect ourselves we're also trying to protect, protect the other person, person. Mm. so we lie and this just carries on as we grow up i've kind of moved it into a relationship now haven't i <laughs> no 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 but but the thing is it all, it all, it all, it all comes together in the end, doesn't Absolutely. it? Yeah, it's, it's the upbringing that causes relationships to be the way they are. You know, it's the norm. It becomes the norm to lie. It becomes the get out jail card. So why not use it? You know, I've worked a few times, worked with my parents, 
why not use it in this relationship? Get, get out of jail card. Who won't use a get out of jail card if it's worked before? Absolutely. So, so the fear in us as children, it gets passed on. It just never leaves us. It just gets twisted into something else. else yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, I've had two, two guests in particular who have spoken about their... Um, who have spoken about the violence they've experienced, but that's not what the topic was about. Does that make mm, sense? So yes. they spoke, they're speaking about something else, but, you know, other things have come into play. Mm. And two situations that I vividly remember, um, there was a gentleman who, was, who came on to speak about depression, his depression, anxiety and suicide. And he mentions a lot that he was physically abused by his dad growing up. Mm. And one of the worst... Um, situations he had is that his dad threw a knife oh, at gosh. him and it just nearly pierced his chest wow. um, there was another lady who told me about a scenario where um, I think they lived in a crowded house and you know dad came in and said everyone be quiet but there's like seven of them in a the room mm. so you know the likelihood is that it's not going to be that quiet anyway dad singled her out and she said it was snowing he took her outside um in her just her little nightdress I think she said she was about seven and again I think there was a fence missing and the neighbour's dog was barking savagely mm. the dad dragged her outside left her outside locked the door mm. and because she has problems with night vision she couldn't really see so she's kind of feeling around the dog grabs onto her leg uh. and is literally kind of tugging and tugging and tugging. Mm. And um, yeah, then she actually ended up spending the night in the outside toilet. Oh, wow. Until the morning. Oh, wow. So don't get me wrong. She mentioned, you know, about that that same dad did viciously beat her too. Mm. But again, that's that's like beyond abuse yeah. so because we're talking about the fears of the parents so we mm-hmm. it's, it's very clear what the fear of the child would be yeah but what could possibly be the fear of the dad to to do that it's just one of those things of i have to teach her a lesson i must teach her a lesson and even even everyone that i've spoken to because you mentioned i've spoken to quite a few parents you know when i was writing my book it's, there's always been one major incident that the parents do things like this. I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but you know, there's always one thing where they just did the most bizarre thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember my stepmom, she locked one of my stepsisters out, her daughter. That was her daughter. She locked her out. And my dad came back. My dad was like, there's a child missing. Where mm. was she? And I think it was because she talked back. She talked back to her and she locked her out and told her not to come back. So my dad and all of us when looking in the neighborhood and she was at the back we lived in an estate um so it was like three four floors <laughs> and there was a back bit where it was just like communal garden but then the council had not cut that garden in years um you could you know at night time we could hear foxes were there you know you could hear now you know just different animal noises that's where she was because it was tall it was cold that night and she said the trees were tall and she thought she would be warm there even though yes, she knew there was going to be animals there. You know, obviously, 
raw animals, you know, yeah. not, not tamed animals. Mm-hmm. But to her, it was like, it was better than being cold or whatever it is mm-hmm. that she was going through her mind. So I've heard so many stories of parents not, you know, they get to a point where they, they just think, I don't want to hit you because I'm always hitting you and that's clearly not working. So I'm just going to teach you a lesson. Mm. And they go beyond, beyond beyond reason because they are so full of emotion and they just lost for words for what to do i'm not obviously i'm not condoning what the parents yeah, have course. done no, but no, this no. is just mm. the thought process that just the complete just i don't know what to do with you so just go just go i don't want to see you just go and it's such a shame because when as adults we need to regulate our own emotion we tell yeah. children to regulate mm-hmm. their emotion but we need to regulate our own emotion and, and we're not, process it and we're not teaching them to regulate their own emotions if we're not setting the example to do that absolutely you know I'm trying to think of another significant beating i got um yes i remember so i was 14 and i had a boyfriend but i had lied to him and said that i was older because I needed, because he, I needed for him to think that I was older. Why? I don't, I am a teenager. I don't know why. <laughs> You're not know, trying to, I don't, I don't have no idea why I lied. But anyways, I told him that I was older. So I told my parents a lie and I'd said to them that I was going to my friend Charlene's house. It was just something I didn't know, Because our friend Natalie was leaving and Charlene was having a leaving party. You know, a very elaborate, stupid lie. Now, unbeknownst to me, seven eight months prior when my friend was leaving here she shouted to me her home telephone number because remember back then we didn't have mobiles yes so she shouted me her home telephone number and my dad happened to be outside too now Mm. he'd obviously memorized this number or written it down somewhere Mm. so the night so i'd gone to see my boyfriend by match i'm at this party and i was at his house and he lived in peckham Near, near Queens Road Station I never forget mm. and obviously because I was 16 you know I was allowed to be out late mm. yeah so the time's ticking and I'm like I need to go home now and he's like yeah yeah no rush and I'm like yeah but and there was a particular show that came on on a Friday or Saturday night it was a black show I think it was like a singing thing I can't remember but I remember when that came on I was like okay I need to go now because this show is now on I need to go mm. so he says okay I'll follow you to station now again back then there was no internet to check train times yeah. or anything like that so I get just to the, stand there and wait wait so I get to the station there are no trains going to There were no trains home, basically. Mm. And the only train I could get was to Norwood Junction. Now, as adults, Norwood Junction from Fort Heath is not far. But as a child mm. who doesn't really understand... I, I, I used to know areas because of the train maps. But I wouldn't know how to navigate my way via yeah. bus or, or what have you. So I ended up in Norwood Junction. Um, and we're at this bus stop. Anyway, so... His mo well, he had a mobile phone because he was older. So his mobile phone rings and it's my friend and she asked to speak to me and she's like, Dion, your dad's going mad. Um your your mum called the house phone. How did she get the number? She spoke to my mum mm. and they were asking where you were and blah blah blah. Your dad's going mad, where are you? Where are you? So I was like, Oh, I'm in Norwood Junction, I don't know how I'm gonna get home, blah blah blah. And then her mum came on the phone, and she was like, Dion, you know, you shouldn't lie, and blah blah blah. I'm like, I know, but I'm stuck and I don't know how I'm gonna get home. I'm waiting for a night bus. And she was like, Stay there, I'm gonna call your dad, he's gonna come and get you. Mm. So I said, Okay. So I was thinking, Shh, shit. 
Exactly. So, fear. <laughs> yeah, the fear because the fear. I I knew like I I didn't know it was going to be that severe, mm. but I knew that I was going to get beaten. Um, and <laughs> so I remember my boyfriend at the time was like. I'm going to wait here with you. I said, no, you're not. Mm. You better go across the road and act like a complete stranger because if my dad catches you here with me, it's just going to be a problem. Mm. He was like, no. I was like, listen, please, seriously, just don't make my life even worse. So anyway, he goes across the road. So eventually my dad pulls up and he comes marching towards me. But it's like he had a smile on his face. Like a little smirk. Oh my goodness, those are the worst. So I was like, oh. Everything is okay. It's okay. And I can't remember if he punched or slapped me. I can't even remember. All I know is I was just getting blow after blow after blow after blow after blow after blow. And I was like, all I could think was, oh my God, my boyfriend's across the road. He's seen me getting beaten. It was embarrassment mm. more than anything else, mm. if that makes sense. And I heard someone shout out because there were people at the bus stop and someone shouted out, Oi, you know, you can't do that kind of thing. Like, Get in the car. So I got in the car. So obviously I got cursed the whole way home. Yeah. Oh, is this what you're doing now? Blah, 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 blah. My brother's in the front giggling away. <laughs> and then I got home and then literally every single item you could think of, my boot, the hairspray can, slaps, fists. And you know, like it felt like it went on for an like literally an eternity and mm. one thing I particularly remember by the incident was when it finished it's it's funny that you're talking about your body shutting down because I remember when it finished I was like oh that wasn't too bad yeah you didn't really feel it anymore I didn't really feel it anymore it's yeah. like my body had gone numb and then I yeah. remember the next day I'd come down for breakfast and he came into the kitchen and he he didn't he didn't poke me but he kind of like touched me on my arm and said don't think you're going anywhere today and I remember I literally jumped out of my skin and I was like and I remember and I remember feeling really really shaky and, and that's when I was, I was like obviously as a 14 15 year old you're not you don't understand and you, you can't really process your emotions or why you've reacted like that but I remember feeling like I, I'm scared of him mm. you know mm. now so again I'm not saying like this is a typical situation, but it's you know it's not really anything we haven't heard of so before. many times. So again, for the parent, what is their fear? In in my in my scenario, what 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 would you say was my dad's fear? You know, his biggest fear for him to behave. You know, because essentially he could have told me off. He could have grounded me. He could have taken over the TV out of mm. my room. He could have mm. taken. But he chose to use excessive violent force. Yeah. So what what was his fear? I mean obviously I know you can't speak on behalf of him, but do you understand what I mean? Yeah. But just so the listeners can kind of understand how their behaviours can kind of transmute to something else, mm. if that makes sense. Well, from your dad's perspective, it would be he didn't know where you were. Were you alive? Were you dead? Somebody taking you. Where are you? You called where you were supposed to be and they didn't know where you were. So what's happened to you? He has no idea what's happened to you. He has no idea what's happened to his daughter. His 14-year-old daughter. So, you know, all the worst thing that could possibly have happened to you comes up for him. So his worst fear comes up. So he's processing this worst fear, but he's not really processing it. 
mm-hmm. it's just getting repeated in his mind is she dead is she okay where was she where was she where was she and then it finds out that actually you were fine you just lied to be somewhere else mm-hmm. it's just what an idiot she made me feel like this and she and all of that comes up Mm-hmm. So I think it's just, again, like, you know, like I've, you've read my book, it's just the fear of the parents gets passed on. So into them processing that fear of, you know, I love my child so much and I thought something bad has happened to her. And at least I'm glad that she's okay. So, you know, I should be relieved, but they're not relieved. They're mm-hmm. angry now. Mm-hmm. You know, and I always say to people, anger is not a bad thing. It's how you use it. Anger is always the, the cult. There's always something else. And a lot of the time, what is underneath anger is sadness, is is love, is so much things. You know, when they say, you know, when people are grieving, it's because you love the person that you're grieving. Mm-hmm. You know, if you didn't like the person, the person didn't matter. The person died is just like, you know, we watch news, you know, we hear these people die, the person is like, oh, that's sad. But we're not grieving them, you know, because yeah, we don't know yeah, them. Yeah. We don't know that there's no emotion. We don't, you know, we don't love them. We don't care. You know, we don't know them. But when somebody that you're deep, that you care for, has died or you know something bad has happened mm-hmm. to them you know so much emotion comes up and that is what happens with parents that when they go so deep and they do something so traumatic for the child and it sounds like you were absolutely trauma- traumatized mm-hmm. you know your body shut down because you couldn't feel anything yeah and then the following day you were shaking yeah you know if we you know even as logically as just that you know why would a 14 year old be shaking that's not normal. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. is absolutely trauma right there. Yeah, look, I mean... Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> we can laugh about yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's why, that's why we think that, you know, we survived it. There was, it was not that bad because when we look back, we laugh about it, we joke about it, mm-hmm. it turns into memories. You know, even with my stepsister, you know, we used to laugh about the fact that, you know, she got locked down, dad had to go look for her and all this thing. And we found it so funny that she thought, you know, the grass was going to keep her warm. Mm-hmm. You know, the grass won't keep you warm. You know, she wasn't thinking that the fox is coming to yeah. bite her ears. And, you know, we used to laugh about things like that. But the fact is, she was absolutely scared and petrified that she was going to die that night. And she thought, well, at least I'll be warm a little bit. Yeah. You know, as the foxes eat me. You know, she really <laughs> thought she was going to die. And, you know, it's just the, those traumatic experiences, they don't leave us. We turn it into laughter, we you know, turn it into comedy. But the fact is, it stays in our body and it stays in our mind. And it gets triggered in other parts of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but for your parents and your dad, I think absolutely it was just a fear of the fact that he thought he's lost you. And instead of processing it in an adult mature way, he just posted it in a, in a, I guess a mature way is probably the word that I would use just a, um, because, you know, if a child done something like that, we would say that's immature. You know, if, if a child thought his toy was lost and he went off beating the person that he thought took it. You know, we will say that is unacceptable. Yeah, you that can't is do that. immature. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, yeah. you know, your toy is not lost. You found your toy now. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't do things like that. So, you know, that's how I would look at it. It's quite a mature way of dealing with your emotion. But it's understandable because we, when you're not trained and when you're not used to regulating your emotion, that's just what you do. Mm. And as parents, when we're not training our children to regulate their emotion... It's normal that a parent would behave in that way because they don't know how else to behave mm. when that emotion is so intense, when they think, my child is dead. You know, they, they, you know, he clearly felt, thought you were dead or something bad had happened mm-hmm. to you. Or, you know, you were stolen or, you know, some police was going to come knocking on the door and say, oh, we found her and, you know, you know, some organs are missing. You know, just the worst <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> Who knows what was going through your thoughts, but I was clearly thinking the worst thing has happened mm-hmm. to you. 
I just find it interesting how that, how the fear turns into such a vicious anger, anger. though. You know, I find I find th- that process really, yeah, that just kind of baffles me because you know you kind of think if you if you were that concerned that your child has gone missing, you'd be grateful to have them back. You would show them love, but you know, he's made me angry. But I'm just glad that you're okay, actually. Mm. You know, absolutely. Um, So let's let's talk about culture Mm. and physical discipline. Um, Now, so we have a, a saying in Jamaica. And I, I, I bear in mind, I mean, bear in mind, I love the fact that you have all those different quotes from different countries in your book. Um, really, really love that. We have a saying in Jamaica, um, who don't hear must feel. Mm. Um, and that is a quote I heard consistently Absolutely. growing up. If you are not going to listen to what I say, yeah. then you're going to feel it. If you don't abide by the rules you know, you are going to get chastised for that. Absolutely. So you're from a Nigerian background. Okay. So I kind of feel like, um, you know, in terms of like chastisement, it's kind of similar to, you know, obviously not every single Nigerian or Jamaican or Caribbean family hit their kids. Mm. Of course not. Mm. But generically, most people would say that, yes, you know, that was kind of their... Um, culture culture mm. why have i mean in your opinion i mean why have we attributed physical discipline to be part of black culture well there's been so many research around that and it's simply you know colonization and slavery during that time that became how we disciplined each other and how we disciplined our children how the master the white people will discipline black people and would tell black people to discipline other black people so that became the norm because you know we have to realize this went on for 200 years 250 years 300 years four five yeah absolutely so it's not just you know slavery and colonization was not just 50 years so you know one generation Mm -hmm. it was generation upon generation upon generation upon generation where it became the norm this is just what we do this is what my grandfather did when i did something wrong this is what they did and when his dad did something wrong, this is what they did. And when his dad, so it became the norm to the point where now we're in 21st century, 2019, and it's the norm. This is simply what we feel, this is what we do. Mm. This is this is something that white people don't do, that we feel we do, and we own it, and, yeah. we, and, we, and you know, we do it so well. <laughs> we do it so well. <laughs> that's, that's why our kids aren't shooting up all these schools, because we beat them. Yes. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> You've heard those as well. <laughs> okay. Exactly. And and I said I said on a on a Facebook post one time, quite recently actually, probably this month, and the lady was so upset with me. I said to her, look at the African government and look at the European government. Look at the civilization. Mm. If beating worked so well, shouldn't Africa be better off? Mm. Shouldn't we be better off now? We were better off decades ago and de- centuries ago when we didn't beat children the way we did so clearly yeah. we have to stop and think 
what we're doing is not working. Mm. We're not creating better children. No. We're creating a few great ones. Great, awesome. Mm-hmm. But why can't all be great? Why yeah. can't all be amazing? Why can't all be in a place where we're not killing each other? We're not stealing from each other. We're not harming each other. And the thing is, there will always be humans who will just obviously do those things. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, not, not everyone can be stable and human is stable or mentally stable. But I feel like white people have one head. Black people have one head. So why is it that we feel that we can't succeed just as much as they can succeed? And if they're not beating their children for them to succeed, if they're not beating the children as much as we are beating our yeah. children to mm-hmm. succeed, so why do we feel we need to beat our children for them to succeed? Mm. Because we're human, they're human. If their children doesn't need to be beaten as much as we do to, to excel, then why do our children need to be beaten to excel? Exactly. She was not pleased with me, by the way. She was just like, why are you bringing white people into this? <laughs> <laughs> You're making Africa seem like the worst country, the worst co- continent. I'm like, no, I'm not making it seem like an awful continent. Got great, great, I'm African. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love, you know, I love Africa. I love my country. I love Nigeria. But we can do better. Yeah. And I think it's time we stop and we start doing better for the next generation. Because I want my children to be in an environment where they're safe where they can go back to Africa and they can feel safe, mm-hmm. where the government is stable, where the government is not looting money or stealing money or murdering people and all this madness, you know, where if it happens in UK, there's punishment for those. They will have to give the money back. There will mm-hmm. be a couple of imprisonment. Some of them might go to prison, whatever. But in Africa, when certain things happen, if you've got the money, you can get away, get with, away it. with it. So it's one of those lies. Like if you lie, you can get away with certain things. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like you can get away with it, then you'll get away with it. So there's just so many under under layer. Yeah. <laughs> so many folds. It's like it's like um, it's like Jamaica, for example. So you know, Jamaica has got one of the highest murder rates mm. in the world. I mm. think it's like it was like is it like oh, one in a hundred thousand or something? But it's literally they're at like number one or number two in the world for oh, such wow. a small island. Yeah. You know. And again, you know, beating is part of our culture. Yeah. Of course you beat your kids. I've seen a lot of videos come out in the last few years um, from Jamaica of, you know, parents viciously. I remember this one particular video, this mother um, from the same parish that my mum's from, actually, St. Thomas, um, stripped herself naked. Mm. So she'd found she'd found uh, a video in her daughter's phone or maybe text messages between her young daughter and a man being quite suggestive Mm. and she you know St Thomas is a very very kind of poor parish it's like the poorest parish in Jamaica it's very um you know it's countryside rolling hills big thick bush I'm making it sound very uncivilized it's actually (laughs) a beautiful place but you know what I mean it's not town um so anyway so she stripped herself naked and the mother stripped herself naked. Stripped herself naked, because wow. well, when I showed my mum the video, she was like, "Yeah, that's what they, that's what, what they do, do sometimes. They strip, they strip themselves naked and then, because they don't want to mess up their clothes. Yeah. To, and they, and she beat the child with um, a machete. Wow. Wow. Yes. And what astounded me was that. So this was like all over social media. And what astounded me is that there were people that were saying, yes, Mm. she should beat her. Of course she should. Why is she speaking to a big man like that? Mm. Rather than 
you taking a step back and saying, why is a big adult man concerning himself with a 14-year-old yeah. child yeah. who is clearly impressionable? You know, there isn't a lot of investment in education in Jamaica. Mm. You've got some very good schools, but again, it's a very, like I can assume in Nigeria, it's a very class-based, Absolutely. you know. So where you don't have racism in those black countries, you have classism, Yes, you know. So Jamaica has a very big problem with sexual abuse of girls, girls you know raping of women mm. all these things but yet we're beating our children to correct and discipline them yeah. if that is working why is jamaica the highest the murder capital of the world exactly. why why are all these men preying on young girls why are so many girls being murdered mm. you know it's to me it just doesn't and, and i and i really just want people to kind of because I know there'll be people listening to this saying, oh, yeah, but at the end of the day, we're not in Jamaica. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, beating never hurt me. Yeah. It might not hurt you, so you think, but mm. you are now passing this on to your your children. Yeah. I'm going to use my dad as an example because I can see his picture. Mm. So when I did our family tree, um, I managed to trace it back to like maybe 17... 50 oh that's amazing right and in jamaica that's very very hard because they for slaves they didn't keep records but i can trace my dad's paternal paternal lineage back to 1750 and what i found interesting through my research is that it confirmed a lot of things i heard now from maybe five generations up from my dad all of the men in the family had some type of issue with their fathers. Mm. So where the fathers were excessively violent. So it's either they ran away, changed their names. Mm. But it is a consistent theme from like five, six generations ago. Yeah, and they were called that generation a curse. Exactly. Father's not being there. Father's not being, you mm. know, loving enough. Right. So, and what was interesting is that all the fathers were in the family, but it was the physical abuse that they would inflict particularly on their sons yeah. that carried down. For me, that is a very clear example of how generational trauma or curse yeah. is passed down. Absolutely. And it's and it's and it's literally living and walking. Absolutely. And the the trauma that we see on our streets of young black men killing and dying you know so many research have also said that it's because their fathers are not there and even when the father's physically there there's no loving relationship mm-hmm. you know this just keeps bringing us back to love yeah because if there is no loving relationship then you can't have a good relationship with your child which means you can't actually discipline them and and i think i probably mentioned this in the book um my dad disciplined us differently he disciplined us not physically. He was in the army and then he became a reverend. So he his way of discipline was so different from my stepmom. My stepmom was the physical, beat us, beat us. Where was my dad would just sit us down and talk to us. And we would cry. All he had to say was, I'm so disappointed in you. And we would cry just like the fact that dad is disappointed in me. Oh my goodness. It's like the worst thing. It's like when, when he says, when, when the school calls and they've spoken to him, you're like, Oh no, dad's gonna be so disappointed in me. That hurt us a lot more than yeah. mm-hmm. than oh, they spoke to my stepmom and oh, she's gonna beat us. Oh great, she's just gonna beat me again. 
oh, and I'm getting myself prepared for yeah. her beating me. Like, oh, okay, I'm getting myself ready. Oh, yeah, great. Oh, where am I going to hide when I get to school? Because I'm probably going to have bruises on my face. <laughs> Now bruises on my arm, so I can't do pee. I'm planning it. I'm planning getting beaten when I get home. But with my dad, it was just I was just so sad to go home. Mm. Sad that he would be sad. But that's I find that so strange that you're not that they were both two different opposite. <laughs> but so why do you think your dad allowed your stepmom to beat you then? If he wasn't into the beating, mm. why 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 would he allow her to Well, she never did it with him there. So he would never be there when she would do it. He would just come back and they would hear about it and then they'll have a massive argument about it and she might throw a few things about about at him and then he'll walk out and then he'll come back calm and then they'll discuss it and then she might not beat us for like the next couple of days and then she'll beat us again and then he'll come in and he'll hear about it or see us crying and be like or see bruises on our arm and be like what happened and then the whole thing so she never did it with him there because she knew that he would stop her he would he would ah, stop her okay. he would not let that happen just like when she locked my her own daughter out my dad came back home from work and he went to find her Mm-hmm. Like, you know, obviously, if he wasn't there, she was going to slip there <laughs> that yeah. night. But, you know, he came back and everything basically got restored to the normal place mm-hmm. that it was supposed to be restored. So, they were opposite. But in a way, I feel like he has helped me see see the opposite world of what really works. I feel like we're all okay, even though we're all traumatized with the way things were. But I feel like we're all okay because there was that balance. Balance, yeah. And in a lot of homes, there is no balance. Mm. There is just mother hits, father hits, uncle hits auntie hits everybody hits mm. neighbors hit you everybody hit you that's just the norm there was no balance i felt like we had balance we saw that love from him and him just talking and saying i'm disappointed in you like after he said i'm disappointed in you he would then probably talk for the next half an hour but we couldn't even hear that because we were so busy crying mm-hmm. the fact that he was disappointed in us so bizarre <laughs> looking back now like that was just the worst thing that could happen in that day to hear dad was disappointed mm. in us and I feel like that is what I was trying to get across in this book of love is actually what a child needs. Yeah. And to know that you care. And if your child does something wrong, let them know why you're upset. Because that is another way of regulating the emotion of them knowing and naming the emotion of I'm upset because you've avoided my laptop. Now mom's not going to be able to buy you this and this and this. And mm-hmm. they're going to be upset because they can't get what they want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it just makes it it just makes it in a way where the child is able to understand their own emotion understand your emotion because we can show we can be transparent to our children and let them know that we feel emotion too and that can help that child when they are feeling overwhelmed know that us as parents we go through the same thing so there was there's there's another group that i'm in and um they're called conscious parenting and um, a lady posted something about how her child done something and there's only, she gives her, she's three years old, the daughter's three years old and she has done it so when she's going through a trauma or she's going through a tantrum, not trauma, there's a space in the house where she can go and be, do whatever she wants in that space. So she can scream, she can shout, she can punch the cushions in there, but when she comes out, that's it, done. I like that. <laughs> I like that too. So in a way, she can process her emotion. She can scream. She can do whatever she wants in that emotion. But when we're at the supermarket, you cannot do that in public. But when you get home, you can scream 
And then once the child has come out of that space, she sits her down, she says, what was that about? Why were you shouting? She's like, oh, because you didn't buy me ice cream when we were at the shop. And then she'll tell her why she, she was having a tantrum. But it's interesting because instead of telling our children not to feel, we allow them space, like that lady, she allows her space to feel mm. that overwhelming emotion in a safe space. Where Because the truth is, if you're having a tantrum on the road, you're embarrassing me. Yeah. So that emotion of me being embarrassed is going to overshadow the fact that I love you right there and then. Yeah. Because other people, other people are looking at me and they're like, and whatever, me. judging me. <laughs> <laughs> and all I want to do is shut you up. Yeah. And all I want to do is tell you, stop crying, stop making noise, stop shouting, don't piss me off, don't annoy me, yeah. stop it. Mm-hmm. But then what that is doing is telling the child, I can't feel, I shouldn't feel, feeling is bad. And I'm glad you said that. So what I want to ask you is, Let's say a child is having a tantrum because of or whatever reason, or a child is has done something. Mm. A parent then hits child. Child naturally has has to react in some way. Absolutely. But then often what happens is, and again, it's something that they say a lot in Jamaica. Don't make me give you something more to cry for. Yeah. Right. Now, so when you're now then shutting down that child's automatic response mm. what does that then do to the child internally That's, internally that tells the child they're not accepted for them for them for who they are so our emotions are part of us you know it, even though emo- i say to people emotions come and go you shouldn't always react to it process it and then you know discharge what you need to discharge however if you have been trained or been told since when you were young that your emotion is not okay your emotion disappoints me. Your emotion upsets me as a mother, or as, a, as a father, because that's basically what we're saying to the child when we mm-hmm. tell them to stop. You know, you're annoying me. You're, you're crying is annoying me. Stop crying. Don't make me give you something to cry about. It's you crying is not acceptable. You feeling sad is not acceptable because crying is just an expression of whatever. Mm-hmm. So crying is not really the thing. It's why they're crying. So it's sadness. It's upset. It's, you know, they're in pain, whatever it may be. It's whatever it is you're feeling, it's not okay shut it down so when so when a parent hits their child the child cries hysterically mm. parent doesn't want to hear it and orders them to stop the noise like you said energy has to go somewhere Absolutely. so if they can't release that what is that doing to them internally depression in counseling um we call depression self-hate and self because you get to a place where you feel like you're worthless you're not good enough other people are going to be okay but you're not going to be okay other people are going to be accepted in life but you're not going to be accepted in life so that emotion and that you're feeling you can't express it it's not towards other people you can try and say this person made me do this or this person made me feel that but ultimately depression is self-hate and that energy goes into yourself and that energy is attacking you. You start to attack yourself in your mind of mom or dad or whoever's looking after me doesn't want to hear me cry, doesn't want to hear that I'm upset. I'm not okay. I'm not allowed to oh, be upset. Wow. Hmm. And you know, you That's can imagine so just, just it, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You can imagine a little child, boy, girl, whatever, maybe, you know, feeling that they're not okay. 
they're not accepted as them because you are your emotion, a part mm. of it. You're part of your emotion. So if you are not, if your emotion, sadness, joy, whatever, if you can't express it, then you can't express yourself. So you have to fit in. And we wonder sometimes where children start to copy other people. They try to, they say, um, be the leader, don't follow. But when we're telling them to shut their emotion down and fit into what we want them to fit into, ultimately we're saying, follow other people, follow me, not mm-hmm. yourself, not what you, your internal being tells you to be, is what I tell you to be, is what the outside world tells you to be. And that's where depression comes in when we get older and when people get older, anxiety comes in. You know, so many disorders, so many, you know, mental health illnesses comes in and it has to play out eventually. It might take years mm-hmm. for, you know, for, like I said, you know, that coke, coke or that, yes. that, that fizzy drink that analogy, popping yeah. up. Um, but eventually it will absolutely explode. That person, that child will explode eventually and they can explode on their partner. They can explode in themselves and, you know, suicide. You know, it can come out in so many different ways as they grow up, you know, and sometimes some children kill themselves when they're younger, mm. you know, so sometimes they don't even get older for them to even express it in other relationships. It's so, yeah, it's, it's, it's just sad. It's deep, but it's sad. But depression is where internal hate is where it goes because mm. you have to attack yourself. You have to attack something. Yeah. And if you can't attack your parent because they're just going to beat you even more, or, you know, you know, hurt you even more. Or discipline you more then you have to attack something that you can and that's self mm. so it goes into yourself another interesting part of the book that i love that you mentioned was um how people will use um the bible for example yes. as um you know justification mm. so you know i do have a lot of christian listeners um or people that have grown up with the bible mm. you know most African and Caribbean people have been, um, you know, have grown in church and stuff like that. Yes. So, you know, the Bible says to, was it spare the rod and not spoil the child? Yeah. Um, you know, God <laughs> in the Bible often talks about his wrath and, mm. you know, all that type of thing. What's your what, what What's your take or your opinion on, you know, people using the Bible as justification? Um, well, one is wrong <laughs> because, you know, as a Christian, we believe in Jesus Christ and he's love. God is love. Love is God. So if God is love, then it's not a loving thing to hurt someone. And in the Old Testament, there was a lot of, um, you know, obviously wrath and, you know, floors opening up and swallowing human beings and then closing back up because they'd done something wrong or they said something to Moses or whatever it was that they, that happened. So there was a lot of that going on and, you know, storms and, you know, the whole earth was covered with water and everybody died and all of that happened in the Old Testament. But as Christians, we're not meant to follow the Old Testament. We're not meant to follow the, the, the curses in that part. We're meant to follow the New Testament, which is about love. And if we follow it about love, then we have to realise it's not loving to hit other people and to hurt them and to make them feel pain. And I feel like it comes from the fact that my dad didn't hit us and he was irreverent. So I feel like watching him be the loving father makes it easy for me to understand that God is a loving father. Mm-hmm. Okay. So watching my father, earthly father, be loving, I just feel like fathers are meant to be loving. <laughs> so <Yeah>. clearly... <laughs> God in heaven is loving. So it was really easy for me to find places in the Bible 
especially the New Testament, even and, and the Old Testament are quoted in the, in the book as well, of where God is actually making it clear that he is loving mm-hmm. and he doesn't want us to hurt our children. And if anything, he's saying, parents, don't make your children angry. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if God is saying, parents, don't make your children angry and you're hitting them, what do you think they're feeling when you're hitting them? Anger. They hating you right in that point in time that you're hitting them. So clearly, if God is letting you know, don't make your children angry, unless obviously you're trying to protect them. Um, so for example, if I pull, if, if, if a bus is coming or something, I pull my child from the road and, you know, he starts crying because he was shocked as what happened. That is different than me, you know, pulling him and beating him and making him angry yes. because of mm-hmm. that. So that there's different types of reasons why a child would be angry. But, you know, we just have to be mindful of, and I guess, you know, when we read the Bible, we have to use wisdom with it as well. So not just take it and be like, oh, yeah, that's what it means. You use the word rod. And in my book, I mentioned what rod actually means. You know, yes. people, people use rod mm-hmm. um, in our days, in, in, in our way now. So can I just say, yes. when you broke that down in the book, I was like, wow. <laughs> no, honestly, because all for the past 30 odd years... Mm. You hear Rod and you think, Rod? Yes. But please, oh, should, oh, should you break it down for the listeners? Because we want them to buy your book. <laughs> I can break it down, but they still need to buy the book to get everything else. Okay. And the whole right. um, <laughs> so, um, back then, in the, when the Bible was written, Rod and staff was actually used for shepherds who were looking after the sheep. And that is a terminology that the Bible kind of carries on even to the old, into, even to, into the New Testament of, you know, shepherds looking after the sheep and things like that. And they use that to protect the sheep, not to hit the sheep. So they would hit the wolves that were coming to um, bite and kill the, the sheep. They would hit them with a staff or the rod that they had in their hand as shepherds. Mm-hmm. But they would never hit the sheep. Sheep, yeah. And children always compared to the, the gentle lambs, weren't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So obviously in the book, I explain it a lot deeper and a lot, you know, a lot more clarity. But basically it's, you know, our own understanding of rod in our, you know, 21st century is different from what they use rod and stuff for back then. Mm -hmm. And even in the Bible, it says um, um, the rod and the stuff, they comfort me. If the rod and yes. the staff is meant to comfort us, then why do we use it ex- to, beat why do we children? Use to beat children? Oh my God, I'm going to click. This is the guys. <laughs> pause and rewind and listen to that bit again, please. Go on. Yeah, absolutely. So I think people need to use wisdom when they read the Bible, not just take it into what you think it is now. Also think of what were they trying to tell well what story were they trying to tell what is it what is the holy spirit trying to tell you what 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 are you supposed to feel when you read this because if it's supposed to comfort you then clearly you're not supposed to use it to hurt your children or your sheep or something that you love or you care about like god's supposed to love and care about for us mm-hmm. um so yeah there's there's a there's a lot of quotes you know i put a few bible quotes in there just to make it clear that i'm not just making this up yeah <laughs> so literally from the bible i put quotes in there so they will literally say that you know this is literally what the bible is actually saying about you know stuff you know rod and just different things that um you know god wants us as parents to know about raising children because you know they always say the bible is complete the bible is complete in the sense of it will take you through everything you need to know in life and it would help you go through the journey of life including parenthood 
Mm. There's a lot in there that can help us as parents know what to do and what not to do in raising our children in the right way. And part of that is knowing that the rod and the staff is to comfort and protect and not, us. Not weapons, guys. And not weapons. weapons. <laughs> You're meant to use it to protect your children. You're meant to use it to discipline your children, but in love, not in pain. Mm-hmm. You know, to protect them. So, so the shepherds we use, we use the staff and the rods. Um, so it's inter, inter, interchangeable. So some some Bibles will say the rods, some will say the staff, but they usually mean the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they will use it to chase away the um, chase away the, the the wolves or the animals or lions or whatever that was coming to to attack the their children or the the sheep. So I guess you know if we're gonna think about that, we would have to think. If we are supposed to use the rod and the staff to comfort ourselves, to comfort our sheep, but to chase away harm from us and our children, then it's not to hurt our children. But then what does the what does the staff really mean in our sense of 21st century? Mm-hmm. You know, we can use it as words. It can be, you know, you can cuss away whoever it is that's coming to attack your children or whatever. Or it can just be wisdom. It can, it does not necessarily have to be something physical, physical hmm. that you use to hurt other people or to hurt your children, to hurt yourself. It can, you know, be in a different dif- different time, time zone, now, yeah. really. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's just wisdom, really. I think mm-hmm. parenting takes a lot of wisdom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not it's not as easy as ABC. And I try to make that clear in the book as well that, you know, I'm not trying to say I'm a better parent than you or you're not good enough, but I'm trying to say parenting takes wisdom and there's plenty of wisdom that we can that life can teach us, that we can take without hitting our children, without hurting them, that we can still use to train them and discipline them. Mm-hmm. Love. Laid. Bear. So the last kind of question I want to ask, I suppose, is can you give us a kind of a solution as opposed to hitting? So um, let's say you have a child who is maybe, I don't know, six years old, a boy, boisterous, you know, the usual kind of thing. Um, let's say he hits another child mm. at school and you automatically your first response would be to kind of hit, hit or beat him when he gets home. Mm. Now, as a parent that has traditionally hit their child, how does that parent start the process of trying to turn that around you know what can that child what can that parent do sorry um in that instant to a child that's used to being hit yeah what what can they now do rather than hitting their child communication i feel communication is so important in parenting i talk to him all the time and he still doesn't listen i think it's because a lot of people are talking in anger instead of talking talking so Instead of talking at the child, you're talking with the child, and it needs to be in an, in a state where you're calm, so you're you know you you're not angry and you're not expressing your anger anymore. Like you've discharged your anger somewhere, wherever it is, whether it's a gym, whether whatever it is, whether you've written it down in your journal, whatever it is, and you've come to the child to have a conversation. So a lot of the time, parents would parents who I've heard say things like that, they're talking about the child in the sense of. You were not supposed to, you were where I told you not to be. Why did you go there? I told you not to go there. But then they're, they're asking questions, but then they're answering their own questions. So they're not, it's not really a question for yeah. the child to answer. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking at you. I'm not really talking with you. So it's, you knew you shouldn't have been there. What happened? 
and then just wait for the child to probably lie to you because they're still quite scared because you're, you, they're used to you beating them. So the fact is they're probably going to lie to you and then, you know, but then the, the, the more you get used to, the more they get used to communication happening, the more the fear would go and the less the lies will happen. So like I said earlier, we lie because we're scared of consequences. Mm hmm. But as a parent, we also need to put in place consequences. So, for example, if a child pours water on the floor, well, they need to clean that up because next time they need to be more careful. I don't need to beat the child and put fear in the child. So next time the child wants to pour something, he's so scared that he accidentally knocks it over because he's so scared. So, you know, we try to prevent things, but then a lot of the time we're causing it because mm -hmm. we're trying to prevent it with yeah. fear and with anger. Um, and another thing is empathy. Um, I mentioned this in the book, P A C E, which is which is what which is what um a lot of the time children who have been through trauma, and they get and they put into foster care or foster homes. This is what a lot of the time um they encourage the foster carer to 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 discipline the children with, because it creates because if a child has been been through trauma, the brain is not developed the way it should mm -hmm. so they need and they do this um because i used to be a teacher as well and um, special needs school they do this in special needs school as well because obviously in uk you can't hit kids <laughs> so you know you find different ways to discipline kids yeah. <laughs> um especially special needs kids um so pac just basically stands for um playfulness acceptance curiosity and empathy and in that, I will also add consequences. Always make sure you're, the child is aware of the consequences of the action. There is always a consequences to whatever action we, 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 you know, we take. And I feel like as children, they need to know that there's always consequences. So create a safe consequences. Obviously, don't be extreme, like locking them out. That it shouldn't be consequences mm. of um, bad behavior. But something that can still let them know that they are, they've done something wrong. And there will be consequences for it. So whether it's you take away the PlayStation, you take away the toy, you take away something, or you prevent them from going somewhere, grounding them, whatever it is. But as parents, we need to be playful with our children from when they're young. When we try to do it when they're about 14, a lot of the time we're, they're so lost already mm -hmm. that trying to grab them back by 14 is really, it's not impossible, it's not impossible, it's just a lot harder. So I would say from when children are younger, try and play with them. And with rules in place because when a child is playing it will be their rule so you know for example if it's a car that the child is playing with it will be playing with the car and you can ask the child you know what do you want me to do with the car so in you playing with the child because we do this in therapy as well where we um and with young people we play play therapy they call it the child learns rules consequences in that play okay so that is so once you're playing with a child on a regular basis it can be 10 minutes a day it can be 10 minutes a week whatever it is you need to let that child know that this is what's going to be happening on a regular basis so they're prepared for it and every child wants to spend quality time with a parent mm. or the main caregiver and when you're creating a space where you are playing with a child they're following rules and they're understanding consequences in that play environment when you're out of that play environment they're going to take that out of that play environment in the sense of listening to you and you listening to them because when you're playing with a child on the floor whatever it may be you're listening to them and they're listening to you so if you're creating that energy of i hear you and you hearing me when they're having a tantrum you created that energy in the brain you created that link in the brain already mm -hmm. that they are more likely to listen to you even in the most tantrum mode of when the emotion is all over the place because you created that safe space for them which is in you with you and them it's already safe because you play with them so nicely so playfully so um helpfully 
you can train them to actually calm down when they're having a tantrum. So having a tantrum is just, again, it's just the, the emotion just going all mm-hmm. over the place and them not being able to regulate it. But in a calm way, you can help your child regulate their emotion. And part of that is playfulness. So playing with them on a regular basis will absolutely be able to transpire to tantrum. You're telling them off, them listening, you're listening. And empathy is another thing that I know that my dad definitely did. So he will always empathize with whatever craziness we did. <laughs> he will always empathize with it. But you know you shouldn't have done that. Done that. I know you wanted to go to your friend's party like you did. Or you'd be with your boyfriend and go to a party. But anything could have happened to you. They're yeah. much older than you. Mm-hmm. You could have been hurt. You could have been killed. And, you know, if they put those, you know, those, those, those things to you, you'd have been like, yeah, yeah I know, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could have been hurt. I could have died. Something could have happened to you. You were really scared as a parent because you didn't know what happened to me. You know, they, they, we can communicate with children to actually let them know that what they've done is wrong mm-hmm. and actually know there's consequences. Yes, and you know, this was just the thing that my dad used to do. So he'll be like, you shouldn't have gone to that party. I know you wanted to be with your boyfriend. You know you're not supposed to have a boyfriend anyways because this can happen and this, this. And he'll give you a list of all yeah. the things that can happen because you've got a boyfriend. Um, and being at the party and them not knowing where you were. And he would tell you his emotion. So he would tell you, I felt scared. I felt sad. And I was really worried that you might be dead. Hmm. And hearing that from a parent is powerful. Yeah. It's powerful like you've hurt your dad. Your dad was scared for your life. It's like, it's like the parent showing that vulnerability but parents don't want to show their vulnerability to the children do they exactly Hmm. and we need to realize as parents children actually want to see that you're vulnerable they actually want to know that they can be vulnerable with you too because if you're showing you're vulnerable then they can be vulnerable with you they can come to you in their time of need instead of going to an outsider in the time of need so you know the the, in, in the book i tried to in the last chapter i tried to give different ways of disciplining because we still as parents still need to discipline but yes you know if they've already started to beat coming out of it is going to be difficult but it's not impossible but you need to do it with love you need to do it with communication you need to do it with you being vulnerable to your child i'm not saying sit there and cry and bar your eyes out and you know and expect your child to be the one to console you yeah. that's not what i mean by being vulnerable yeah. with your, but just you know being aware of your emotion and revealing your emotion to your child and letting your child speak to you not at you not you at them but communication is so powerful in relationship with parents and children in relationship with you know spouses in relationship with siblings it's so powerful and we need to learn that from young and we can only do that school parent child relationship fantastic okay well um i think we're going to wrap the conversation up now is there anything you wanted to like add on no i think you asked amazing questions oh <laughs> <laughs> right, well, thank you Thanks. As I flick my imaginary hair. Um, Celestina, thank you so much. It's been such an informative talk and I feel like I've learned so much today. Um, so tell us, what is the name of your book and when is it out? The name of the book is Disciplining With Love because that's, I, just wanted, I just wanted to be as simple as possible just to, let, as soon as people see the book, I want them to know this is what it's about. Mm-hmm. Although the feedback I've got is Disciplining Who With Love, but there's a picture of a family there. So hopefully that should be quite clear that I meant yeah. Disciplining Your Family, Your Children With Love. So that is the name of the title and it's out um, the end of July. 
but I'm going to put the pre-order out um, this week actually because I've just been hearing so many, so many people saying, you know, I want to get it, I want to get it, I want to get it. So I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to put the pre-order out, but it's out in the end, the end of July. So that will be getting shipped to people. Fantastic. So where can they purchase the book from? They should be able to purchase it from anywhere. So Amazon, bookstores, they should be able to purchase it from every, everywhere. Okay. We are putting it out there. So that's um, Disciplining with Love by Celestina. Onia Thomas. Okay. And if anybody wants to, wants to get into contact with you, what are your contact details? Are you on Instagram, Twitter? I am on Instagram. Um, the, the link on Instagram is floating underscore body, mind and soul. Um, Facebook is floating counselling. Um, our email address is info at floatingcounseling.co.uk. Website is floatingcounseling.co.uk as well. So, you know, we try to make it as simple as possible. <laughs> so floating, just, you know, go in there, floating, type it in. You, you know, we should pop up, up somewhere there on floating. Mm-hmm. So floating counselling. Um, Twitter is float counsellor. So it's still quite close, float counsellor on Twitter. Okay, fantastic. So if anybody wanted to contact you about, you know, counselling services, um, they can do that on any of those platforms. Absolutely. Fantastic. Okay, well, guys, um, I really hope you've taken um, a lot away from this conversation. Um, I mean, I know I definitely have, and it's kind of made me think about some things, actually. Um but yeah well Celestina again thank you so much for joining us Um, guys have a fantastic week we'll be back again next Wednesday at 8pm take care and as always I love you see you next week bye bye it's a wrap love laid bare